humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Hold on, let me try that in my sexier voice. It's Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. How do you like that? How are you today? Welcome to another edition of Idealism and Idealist. That would be me. <laughs> And uh, we're a week and a half away from Christmas. We're in the middle of Hanukkah, and we have white on the ground here in the Twin Cities, and uh, the thermometer is not above 20. But I can't complain. Last week, I was able to ride my bike uh, twice. Um, both There were two days last week that were in the low 50s. Boy, did that feel good. But on that second bike ride, I knew for the last mile, I knew this is it, Ellie, no more in 2020. And so, anyway, okay, we've got a great show. The big interview is with Kate Semino. She's the executive director of the Citizens League. You will really like hearing from her. And in my C block, I'm going to talk about my first real attempt at doing real good in the world. Spoiler alert, um, it did not go well. But for our A block, I want to talk about an idealist who simply, since March of this year, has organically created an organization that has facilitated the transfer of more than $40 million in either direct dollars or goods, like groceries, between people who have resources and those who lack them. Um, I came across this yesterday as I was researching for the show. This is one of the 2020 um, CNN heroes uh, organizations. The organization I'm talking about is is named Pandemic of Love. Will you remember that? Pandemic of Love. You're not going to forget about the word pandemic, but Pandemic of Love. It describes itself as a mutual aid community. Remember that phrase as well, which connects people in need with patrons who can help with that need. The great thing is that um, this organization, Pandemic of Love, eliminates the middleman. Uh, people are interacting directly so that if you are a patron or a donor, you get the satisfaction of knowing that your money has gone directly to somebody in need. It is a wonderful, wonderful concept. Mechanically, you've got to go on the um, website for Pandemic of Love. And you're going to find – I mean it, it is a very easy to use website. So just Google Pandemic of Love and you're going to find your state to see if there is a Pandemic of Love micro community. So uh, these communities don't exist throughout the United States. I mean there are like 250 of them across the world. But if you go, I mean there are, there are these micro communities for Pandemic of Love of Love across the U.S. and most of the states. But in Minnesota, there happens to be two micro-communities, one in Minneapolis and the other in, in Isanti. Why Isanti? I have no idea. But you go there, um, you click on a button and a form comes up and it asks you for basic information about who you are, um, your phone number, your email address. Then it asks, you know, there's kind of a checklist you know, if you're the donor, a, a potential donor, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to buy groceries for somebody um, for a one-shot deal? Are you willing to pay utility bills? Are you willing to pay rent? Are you willing to do something else? It's on that form. And then, it, you know, there's a little box where you can do some narrative about why you're doing things. And then you hit click. 
And if you're on, if somebody in need, you get a separate, different, very similar form. By the way, the forms are both in English and Spanish. I mean, again, very user-friendly organization. Um, but um, if you're a person in need, you get a form and you get to lay out what it is that you are looking for. And then the form goes off to uh, a group of donors or, excuse me, volunteers and they match the person who's got the resources with the person who is in need. It is, as I said, extremely easy to use and very user-friendly. On the back end of this process, there are volunteers who, as I said, engage in the matching. These volunteers, I mean, they're trained, but these are just like ordinary humans. Um, the the org, uh, Pandemic of Love website says that there are no there's no overhead. There are no salaries for anybody. It's all volunteers. So the money is just going from person in need to the person who has the needs. Um, I've not gone through the actual process, um, uh, but uh, again, the website says that you are directly matched if you are a donor with somebody in need um, and you share the emails and phone numbers. Okay, So, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, and then apparently once you're matched, you actually work out the details on how to get that need you know, back uh, from the person with the resources, the person in need. There are a couple of things to note about this. First of all, there are no background checks of the people involved. Okay, So just be aware of that. They, they tell you this on the website. Secondly, there is no screening of any kind. Uh, relative to the person in need. So yes, there is the potential for there to be some scamming. But, you know, I subscribe to the philosophy that, okay, yes, um, sometimes uh, it's not, you know, people are dishonest, but that's not a reason not to do something, okay, for the very few people who are dishonest to keep from helping the vast majority of people who are honest. So there you go. Obviously, this is a trust-based system. Okay. Still, the idea has taken off and there have been more than 600,000 matches since the initiative began in March of 2020. Um, You know, there are 205 micro communities, 1,000 volunteers, and as I said, $40 million has exchanged, been exchanged via these transactions. All in all, it is a brilliant concept. And I should know, I conceived of a similar concept way back in 1996 or 7. And I'll tell you about that in C, the C block. Um, there are, of course, idealists behind this. Pandemic of Love was simply an idea that a mindfulness teacher by the name of uh, Shelly Tagelsky, Shelly Tagelsky uh, came up with. She taught mindfulness. Um, She's, before this, she had spent nearly 20 years in corporate America before she ch- decided to change her trajectory. Uh, that uh, trajectory has her describing herself as mindfulness teacher, community organizer, philanthropist, author, self-care activist, public speaker, former corporate executive, mother, wife, sister, daughter, friend, skater girl, and my ninja. That's how she – that is how Shelley uh, Tegelski describes herself. Um, But she started out teaching meditation on a beach in Hollywood Beach, Florida, and eventually she built up quite a following just from teaching meditation. Pandemic of Love is not Shelley's first stab at putting her idealism into practice, by the way. According to her website, she's been involved with providing free trauma-informed healing practices to communities affected by gun violence. She's led retreats for the survivors and victims 
of families um, from uh, various mass shootings like Parkland, Pittsburgh, and Las Vegas. Uh, she explains that Pandemic of Love simply began on March 14, 2020, when she posted two simple Google forms online. One form said, get help. The other said, give help. And from there, it took off. Um, and it took off because this is a very contagious idea. It's contagious because many people, good empathetic hearts, we want to help other people. We are. Humans are altruistic for the most part. But we're also suspicious. So when we give money to organizations, for example, I give money to uh, Doctors Without Borders. I love that organization. But, and, but one of the reasons I do is because their overhead is so incredibly small. That's the way they're advertised. It didn't hurt that they won a Nobel Peace Prize as well. But, but – you know, whenever I write a check, I'm always like, okay, is this really going to go to where it needs to go or am I paying the salary of somebody so that they, you know, can um, uh, come up with uh, ads to send me more document, you know, more um, things in the mail to give me – for me to give more money. And so – but this idea here is contagious because you know where your money is going. It's going directly to another human. You can see it. You're, you may even get a phone call that says thanks. You might even get like a, a picture from somebody saying, my daughter has new tennis shoes because of the check that you sent. I mean, can you believe that? That is contagious. And so check out Pandemic of Love by Googling, okay? Googling that phrase, Pandemic of Love. In the season of giving, please consider it. I am certainly going to do so myself. Okay, well, when we come back... I'm going to interview Kate Semino from the Citizens League. You will enjoy that interview. You're going to listen to a young idealist. And then we'll do my C block where I'm going to talk about one of my endeavors, to, my very first endeavor to be an idealist. It did not go well. Okay. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at Ellie J. Krug. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. I love having Twitter followers. I do not have enough. Okay, we'll be back in a second with the big interview. Thanks. King of night visions, king of insight. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. We're back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. 
So check out Pandemic of Love um, because uh, I have an idea that you are going to hear about it far more than just simply on uh, LE 2.0 radio. Okay, and now I want you to hear about something else. I have a wonderful guest here for the big interview. Her name is Kate Semino. She is the executive director of Citizens League. New to that role, she's only been doing that since September. Uh, before that, though, she was at the Hughes Humphrey School of Public Affairs, where she served as the executive director of the Humphrey Policy Fellows Program. Kate is also the chair of one of my favorite organizations, the McF- uh, chair of the board of directors for the McPhail Center for Music. And um, she's originally from Buffalo and now lives in Minneapolis, so I'm assuming the weather is no big deal. Kate, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? Thank you. Good morning. I'm doing great. I am so thrilled to have you here, in part because my daughter's name is Kate, so I love saying oh, nice. that name. So, Perfect. So, Kate, um, uh, let's just begin by uh, talking about what is uh, Citizens League, what does it do, what's its mission, because it's un- kind of under the radar in many respects. I had heard about it before, but I didn't really know about it until I met you and started researching. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Citizens League, you're right. It, it, in, for, in many ways, it kind of does fly a little bit under the radar, even though the Citizens League has been around in Minnesota for almost 70 years now. Um, it is, I think, about 68 years old. So this is a nonprofit based in St. Paul, but working statewide. And the organization works to get people involved in public policy making, and in particular, highlighting how every person has a role in public policy making and in public life. It is nonprofit. Uh, nonpartisan. I like to say these days multipartisan because I feel like when you say nonpartisan, it kind of sounds like nothing. When you say bipartisan, it makes it sound like there's only two sides. And I think that we have seen more and more, even in this past year, that um, there are uh, just a, a galaxy of different perspectives on different social issues and policy and political issues. So I use the word multipartisan to refer to the people that we try to engage from a lot of different perspectives. Well, I think that's great. I I love that phrase as well. So give us um, examples of the work that Citizens League is doing. I've gone on your website, so I have some specific questions, but kind of give us, um, you know, a little bit of the menu. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what the Citizens League is known for going back throughout the course of its history is what they call study committees. And so these are groups of people that are selected from different perspectives, different organizations, different political ideologies who come together over the course of a series of months to really dig in on a certain policy issue and then come out on the other end with a set of recommendations. And the league has been known over its lifetime for some major developments in the policy space, Met Council, uh, the Metropolitan Council, which is a regional governance organization, uh, grew out of a Citizens League study committee. They've hmm. done a lot of work on education, charter schools. They've done a lot of work on um, on uh, transportation, workforce, a lot of different spaces. So that's one piece, you know, and I think that's kind of like the heavy policy work that the Citizens League convenes and leads folks through is uh, really those deep dive policy issues. But we believe strongly that in order to show folks, to show more people that they have a voice, that they have a way, an, uh, an avenue to get involved in public policy, you need to go beyond that. You need to go beyond just those really deep dive policy issues and sort of create different touch points for people to get involved in civic life. So there's pieces of the Citizens League um, portfolio, I would say, that, that have been developed over the years to create those spaces. And one is 
what we like to think of as community building policy events. So these might be, you know, a one hour info session where you can learn about um, an issue around healthcare or what happens to your trash when it gets picked up or uh, issues around water. So ways for different people to kind of connect and understand more deeply a policy issue in a quick and easy time. And then uh, another piece that we really focused on in the last few years is con- uh, training and, and opening avenues for more folks to learn about work and careers in public policy and in politics. So the best example of this is the Citizens League's flagship program called Capital Pathways, which is a paid internship program for students of color and indigenous students in college to go uh, have paid internships at the Minnesota State Capitol, learning about lobbying, learning about legislative work, learning about career paths at the Capitol. So all in all, you know, it's different touch points. It's different ways for people to uh, to find their voice, use their voice, their sense of agency, and get involved in policymaking. And so before I forget, if people want to find out about Citizens League, what is the website? Yeah, sure. It's citizensleague.org. No apostrophe or anything. Just www.citizensleague.org. Okay, pretty simple. All right. Mm-hmm. So one of uh, one of the things that when I went on the website and looked at, because I'm soon to be 64 years old, although others tell me I don't look it, um, but one of the things <laughs> I saw is that you have this program called um, uh, named Calling Home, uh, oh, yeah. which is about um, people growing older and forming some plans about that. And all. can you talk about that? Because I think that that it was fascinating, at least what I saw on the website. Absolutely. This is a project that has been going on for a number of years with some other partners uh, in the community. And there's a few different pieces. One, the calling home was about storytelling and narrative around different ideas of what home looks like for people as they age uh, and different types of family relationships, different types of health needs as um, as they get older and what that might looks like, what that might look like. There was another piece of that project about solos, which um, were, which are individuals who are aging and may not have uh, someone in their home to provide care, may be aging essentially on their own as a solo individual and kind of what is their care and um, in family and friend and health infrastructure look like as they age. Well, that, and, was enough, and I'm going to yeah. tell you, I, I am, I am in the solo category. Mm-hmm. So I had never thought of myself as solo before. I only really thought of myself as alone, but, um, it was really great to be able to put that label on, um, my existence solo and uh, to see that, frankly, it was very nice to see that an organization cared about that. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other piece, because I'll, I'll loop back to that, too, the other piece that we've been doing quite a bit of work on is some uh, some thinking about caregiving and centering issues of caregiving on caregivers, not on the systems and the structures that they have to kind of plug into. But what does it mean to be a caregiver? Who is a caregiver? What is the caregiving infrastructure around each person um, who needs care? And how could the how could the policy systems be better designed through the lens of what individuals and caregivers need rather than being designed top down. And so a lot of these projects, the thread that ties them together is understanding that um, that individuals moving through the years, moving through different health challenges, different life challenges, getting older, uh, which we all do, we all will, 
you know, there are some structural pieces that kind of make it harder to do that. And if we could reframe and think about um, how that works as an individual uh, and the people around you, we could be designing some better systems. And there's a lot of people, you know, so back to your point about solos, there's a lot of people who, you know, they may have friends, they may have um, loved ones, maybe in different cities, different states. They may have hobbies and folks they like to connect with in the community. And all of those things matter uh, as you move through the years and trying to age in the most fruitful and best way possible for you. Well, this radio show happens to be one of the ways that I'm aging. <laughs> there you go. See, this is a, it's a great point. You, know, you, you create the infrastructure around you that you need. Uh, for your social and intellectual life, and it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Some uh, shows I'm aging more than others. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Kate, we're going to have to take a break, all right? And when we sure. uh, come back, I want to really sort of get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty about what's going on in our country right now and what you're finding on the street mm -hmm. as you're talking with people. Okay. All right, everyone. We've been talking with Kate Semino, the executive director of Citizens League. Check it out at citizensleague.org. When we come back from our break, we'll talk with Kate some more. If you like what you hear on the show, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me. I love hearing from my listeners at elliejkrug at gmail. We will be back in a second. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more. Saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. We're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, before we took our break, and what we will now be doing still is speaking with Kate Semino, who is the executive director of Citizens League. Kate, um, you started laying out some of the things that Citizens League does. I mean, it is it, it's ginormous. How many how many staff people? I mean, how many colleagues do you have at Citizens League? There's there's six of us. There's only six. Jeez, oh, unbelievable. <laughs> a mighty team, but the only way we do it, Ellie, is we have so many amazing partners oh. and collaborators and folks that we, we partner with on all our work. And so it, it, that's probably the main thing since coming to the league, uh, uh, let's see, two and a half months ago. I am blown away by the number and quality and awesomeness of all oh. of the different partners that the league works with. Yeah, you would never know that from the website. It's just six people. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Now, one other thing uh, that we I wanted to just ask you about is that you've got a new initiative in St. Paul that you're helping to get off the ground, which is around alternative 911 um, responses. Can you briefly talk about that, please? 
I'd love to. I'm really honored and excited that the Citizens League has been invited by Mayor Carter, Mayor of St. Paul, and the City of St. Paul to take on this project to look at alternative responses, alternative response models for, we'll call them lower level 911 calls. So uh, mental health, unsheltered folks, yep, um, yep. addiction, as well as things like car alarms, barking dogs. These are two thirds of the calls yep. that uh, St. Paul 911 gets. And many of them, I think we can agree, are calls that we do not need two or three armed officers responding to. So the Citizens League is convening a commission of 48 folks who have been designated by the mayor's office. We're starting Wednesday in two days, and we're going to be convening every other week for the course of about five months to learn about this issue, do some comparisons. What are other cities doing? What are some other models of alternative responses to these 911 calls and end in uh, late April, early May, with a recommendation to Mayor Carter and to the City Council of uh, a different way of, of doing this kind of response. We are super excited. This is big work. This is important work. Yep. Every municipality in the country has to be figuring this out. And uh, the League is excited and honored to, to be involved. So, and I'm sure you're familiar with Cahoots out in Eugene, Oregon. Yes? Cahoots. Yes. Oh, maybe you're not. Um, so maybe I'm not. So Eugene, Oregon, 20, more than 20 years ago, decided that they were going to take away the mental health emergencies from the police department and started – and they started they, – they've got social workers, um, specialized social workers that have their own unit that re- report to calls um, of people who are in distress. Yeah. So that's, th- on, so that's on the yeah. – so it's, yep, that's on the list of uh, yep. of alternatives. So it's called Cahoots, C A H O O T S. So, all right. Well, listen. Um, I told you uh, before we took our break. I wanted to get in the nitty gritty. We don't have much time, but talk to me because you are meeting a lot of people across the spectrum. How how are how did we get here with the, the division? Okay. And what are what are your immediate thoughts about how we can get past the stuff that is just tearing at the fabric of democracy right now? Yeah. The yeah. we against them. Yeah, it's fear. It's fear and it's stoking of fear intentionally. Uh, and, and, and both sides are doing it. Many, many different perspectives. You know, it, it's happening all over the place. And it's saying that the problem is somebody else and the problem is that you you whoever you are that you are threatened by these other folks and these other right um and and folks that you that you may disagree with when i when i look at the work the citizens league does and many other great organizations do here it's in the twin cities in minnesota we have to bring it back local you could you could be up all night stressing about national politics, about what the president's saying or didn't say. I am up all you, night stressing about yeah, that, but go I, on. <laughs> and many, many people are. And if you but if you bring it local, you know, look, OK, so you made a choice. Ellie, you made a choice. Uh, I don't know how long ago, but you chose to be involved in your community in this way, hosting the show, talking with people. Uh, you, you made a choice. You took an action. Um, you did did something that helped you feel more in control of what yep. you're doing, your narrative, the stories you're telling. You're exactly right. Yep, go on. And you did that to overcome that sort of paralyzation of fear and anxiety that we that you that everyone can sink into when you lose that sense of agency. To to move through this, 
more and more people need to be involved outside their own little bubble yep. in their communities um, to say, you know, something, something's making me uncomfortable right here at home and I'm going to get out of my front door and go, go try and be part of learning more about this, connecting with some folks uh, and, and trying to make a difference locally. It's all each of us can do. And I think the more stressful it is, the more local you got to keep it and just, yep. and just stay local. Well, and here's where, yeah, please. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and I, I was, um, I was reading a book last night before I was going to sleep and it was fiction. And I found myself realizing that looking back, um, I think that's kind of at the root of why I believe in people and their ability and each of us and our ability to contribute because I am a big fiction reader. I always have been. And the books that appealed to me the most are the books where you learn the backstory of a person, how they got to see the world through the particular lens that they see it and the actions that they take. And if I can learn the backstory, I bring this to my real life too. If I can kind of learn some of the story, learn some of what motivates people, mm -hmm. learn some of what, what drives yep. people, um, what their experiences have been. I believe that there's always a next step for every one of us. There's always a next step to learn something new, meet someone different, um, get out of our own little spot and, and then that translates, that translates into something different happening, um, happening next. And that's what we need. We need people to step outside their bubble, uh, connect with some others and, and take one step forward. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, you and I are talk the same language. I call it the power of human familiarity of becoming mm -hmm. familiar with another human. Okay. I also um, believe, and my listeners have heard this with great frequency, that most humans have good empathetic hearts. I mean, 2% are total sociopaths, but the other 98% are good people. And, um, you know, but, but it is. We're afraid. We're afraid of other. And, um, but when we get to know other, guess what? We find out that they're just like us, you know? So, Kate um, – and 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 two 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 things. One is Citizens League. You're a convener, yeah. and that is incredibly important for us to have. We do not have enough conveners, okay? Right. Because you, as a convener, you can help bring people together. You can kind of set the rules. You can bring the donuts. You know, bring the coffee, <laughs> and then you can have the right facilitator. I mean, you. Not everyone, actually, I don't think many can convene, okay? Because yep. they don't know how to speak the language of compassion and kindness, but at the same time continue to inspire. You, ha I mean, it is a it is a balancing act when you do that convening properly. So my hat is off to Citizens League for doing that. But I have three minutes to ask you the question that everyone gets on my show, and that is, Kate, what made you an idealist? You obviously have the skill set that you could be, you know, making a whole lot more money in corporate America, but you're not doing that. You didn't go that way. Mm -hmm. Why'd you go this way? Public service. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel really um, that those, the years that I spent working at the Humphrey School – at the University of Minnesota, I led a program called Humphrey Policy Fellows, which is an awesome program. We brought together 35, 38 people from all, all over Minnesota, rural, urban, all different racial, ethnic backgrounds, um, all different career paths. 
and people come in that first day and they're looking at each other like, mm, who are these people? <laughs> and then after they get together every month, uh, spend time learning together, get to know each other, laugh about stuff, have meals together, uh, learn, explore, tussle, kind of get into it, work through some challenges together. They come out on the other end and they see each other differently. They see themselves differently and they get past the labels that they had of each mm-hmm. other. When I see that and I look for that always, I look for that everywhere. When people have that opportunity to break down that label, to get past the outer shell and to build some trust, especially when it's less likely or kind of an unusual um, connection, it's so powerful. But, but why, so powerful. It, but why I know, but there was something, <laughs> there's something in your background that caused you to decide that you wanted oh, to make yeah. the world a better place. Why? What happened? Who, who influenced yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it's the fiction reading. I think it's the <laughs> family. I think it's my family. Uh, my parents are both public school teachers. <laughs> and my father in particular came to that career later in life after deciding he didn't want to be a salesman uh, of office products. He wanted to influence and, and set, set a place for people to learn and grow. And that was a big part of my worldview growing up. Uh, in fact, I've got a lot of teachers in my family. So I, I see this work I'm doing as in a way still teaching because yep. it's convening. It's setting the stage for great learning and great connecting. Um, and that, that transformation, that spark of connection translating into um, thinking or seeing the world a little bit differently and taking a different step forward. That's really the magic that, that activates all of us. Well, Kate, we've got to go, but I just want to tell you, um, Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you. thank you to Citizen League for the Citizens League for the work it is doing. You and your other five colleagues. My five colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> They're fantastic. But, well, and I step I am honored to step into a long line of incredible folks leading the Citizens League over like I said nearly 70 years. Sure. Uh, so I step into that legacy and I'm honored to be able to carry it forward. Well, all right. Well, listen, I wish you the best. Um, we may have you back, okay, because I may very well might want to hear about what happens with the commission in St. Paul about the For 911 sure. yeah. alternative. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in the meantime, keep up the good work, okay? Thank you so much. You too. All right. Thanks for being on the show. All right, listeners, we've been speaking to Kate Semino from Citizens League. Uh, check them out. And uh, they're doing incredible work. And I just love hear, hearing Kate talk about – us as humans just getting to know each other and how everything fades away. That is that is the secret, everyone. Okay, when we come back, we'll be doing my C block. I'm going to talk a little bit about an experience, and it will relate back to the A block. All right, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. 
Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. And we're back on AM 950. Ellie Krug here. Um, all right. So uh, check out Citizens League. Kate Semino, what an idealist. But check out what the work that the Citizens League is doing because it is very, very, um, very impactful and interesting. All right. We're in my C block now where I talk about me as an idealist. And I have to admit that the whole time in my A block where I was reporting on the pandemic of love, um, I was feeling a bit bittersweet. You see, back in the mid-90s, I tried to launch my own version of a mutual aid organization. At the time, I still presented as male. Yes, I was Yep, I was a dude back then. I was married with two young children living in Cedar Rapids. And I had been very involved in our church, All Saints. And in fact, I had served as the parish board president for a couple of years. And I did other volunteer activities for the for the church. Through this work, through the work at the church, I met a nun. Sister Leonice was her name. She had been um, – she must have been in her mid-70s when I first met her. And she was one of those quiet nuns. But she had her finger on every pulse. And part of that had her knowing which families and persons in the community needed need, had needs and needed help. So it wasn't unusual for Sister Leonice to come up to me and to others and say, um, I have someone uh, and can you write a check? And of course, I wrote the checks. You never said no to Sister Leonice, trust me. When Leonice died, I envisioned a formal system where donors could be connected with people in need. Um, I got several parish members involved and we, we decided to call it the Friends of Leonice to honor Sister Leonice's memory and the good work that she did. I was able to get the parish priest on board because we needed um, the church to hold money for transferring. Went and got a tax ID um, because the, um, the goal was ultimately to have it as a um, nonprofit. And what the goal was, the way it was to work was that we would identify families in need and then we would reach out to people. We put a, a call out to a you know, a cadre of people and say, hey, can you help these people with, say, for example, paying their light bill or their heating bill or their rent for this month or buy them groceries? And then we would simply connect those people in need with um, the people who had the resources. And right away, I mean, we set this up and right away we had a family. It was a mom with two kids whose husband had walked away having a hard time paying the rent. And I had on my end, I had people show step up who said, well, we'll help you pay the rent. Word got out and more people wanted to get involved. And uh, just as I talked about in the uh, main segment where I talked about the pandemic of love, it was a very contagious idea. Again, because people want to do good. Most people do. And they really love the idea of being able to see like the net results of their doing good. Um, and, and at the parish – 
uh, even the women's auxiliary got excited. Um, my then wife at that time went and, and presented to the women's auxiliary to tell them what we were doing with uh, Friends of Leonese. And boy, they got excited. And we – I mean we just went to, to go talk to them. I mean uh, my ex-wife did. But the women's auxiliary right there on the spot voted to give $500 to Friends of Leonese. And that is when things went to hell. Because after the women's auxiliary uh, voted to give the $500, the next thing I knew is that I got a call from the parish finance committee asking me to come and meet with them. And I sat in a room a few days later with a bunch of older white color men. Finance committee really ran the parish, not the parish council. And I got berated. That is the right word. For with my friends of Leonese idea and that I had other volunteers involved, I got berated for taking money away from the parish because the women's auxiliary thought Friends of Leonese was such a great idea and they gave it – they wanted to give it $500. After the parish finance committee berated me, the next uh, contact I had was from the parish priest who told me that all saints would no longer be able to be the transfer agent for money. Now, remember, we had to have people who had resource because I was – I actually – did not want people having face-to-face contact with each other. I wanted friends of to be in the middle to allow for some, uh, for some security, okay? Um, I wasn't nearly as brave as what pandemic of love is. And so the church needed to, you know, the money needed to come from the people with resources, go to the church, and then a check would be written from the church that we would oversee to the people in need. And so the parish priest came and said, no, we're not going to do that for you anymore. And I just couldn't understand it, frankly, the reaction from the parish um, hierarchy. I mean, after all, Friends of Leonese was helping people. I mean, we, by the, I mean, before it all fell apart, we'd help maybe a half a dozen uh, people or families. And we could see the real tangible results because we would help a family and then we'd, we'd get a, you know, I'd do a report back to the people who had sent the the money to them. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm like telling them. I mean, I was reporting back and, and letting them know. And all of this was done in the memory of Sister Leonisis, frankly, you know, kind of a rock star nurse, or excuse me, nun, who, you know, did her work under the radar. She did a lot of great work. And we were doing this in her memory. Uh, but it was clear that we had to stop. I was running a law firm at the time. I mean, I'm trying to run a business. I was not in a position where I could have single-handedly started a nonprofit without the support of the parish. And it just fell apart. That muscling by the parish hierarchy of of literally suffocating such a great concept, such a great idea, that muscling – and, and my whole bad taste experience was – became one of the reasons or other reasons, but one of the reasons that I left the Catholic Church in favor of Buddhism. Yep. But there's one more postscript that I need to let you know about. So remember I told you that I had gone and 
when Friends of Leonese began, I had gone and gotten a tax ID. And you know, um, I'm a trial lawyer. I was a trial lawyer. I was not a corporate lawyer. I was not an accountant by any means. And I had forgotten about that tax ID <laughs> after Friends of Leonese disbanded. But the IRS hadn't forgotten it. And so, I don't know, maybe two or three years later, I got a letter from the IRS saying, um, you haven't filed your income tax returns for two or three years. And um, you may not owe us taxes, but you owe us several hundred dollars in penalties for not firing, filing tax returns. I had to go hire an accountant and to pay the accountant then I had to pay the IRS several hundred dollars in the penalties. And that's when uh, the accountant taught me a phrase that I have not yet – I have not ever forgotten and I have used on other occasions. And that phrase is, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> Sometimes our idealism has real cost, listeners. But you know what? It doesn't matter. That risk, cost, has never deterred me, ever. Nope, because I'm a hopeless idealist and I will continue to do my best to change the world until my last breath. Okay, a big thanks to our sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota. Gives people a second chance. Um, a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, uh, yeoman's work, uh, yo human's work today on the show, and I really appreciate it. Listeners, guess what? I'm going to be back on Thursday at 2 o'clock live because uh, Brett's going to take some time off. I'm going to fill in for him. So you're going to get a chance to call in and talk to me on Thursday. Please do that Thursday at 2 o'clock. I'll be, I'll be on live 2 to 3. All right. Go out. Do something good. Change the world. Make somebody's life better. Will you do that for me? I'll be back next week with another show. Thanks so very much. Take care. Ellie Krug. Bye-bye. 